The From Day One podcast is brought to you by The Bridge. Visit us at thebridgebk.com. Hi, I'm Nick Bailey, and this is the From Day One podcast. Today's guest is Andrew Walcott, the founder of Fusion East, the beloved East New York restaurant that merges Caribbean and soul food. Walcott grew up in East New York himself. He was raised by two first-generation immigrants from Barbados, served in the Air Force, and then came back home to Brooklyn. Both a corporate attorney and a certified public accountant, Walcott saw the need for an upscale food experience in the neighborhood that he'd spent most of his life. In 2015, he opened Fusion East, inspired by the character of the neighborhood, which is primarily Caribbean and African-American. It's the perfect place to enjoy classic dishes in a modern setting, new takes on jerk chicken wings, jerk salmon, chicken, waffles, shrimp and grits, roti. The restaurant's on Elton Street near the Gateway Mall, and they recently opened a second location, the Fusion East Cafe at the Kingsborough Psychiatric Center. Andrew, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us a little bit about East New York. Um, what drew your family there in the first place? Well, my family, when they first immigrated from Barbados, they went to Canada because it was a little easier to get into um, Canada and the U.S. at that point. Well, my dad got a job with General Electric back in, I guess, 1970-something. And once he got that position, he moved us back to, uh, moved us to East New York, Brooklyn. Um, back then, it was a neighborhood that was in transition to some degree. It had been mostly, I'd say, Jewish, Irish at that point, and then a lot of African Americans and then, uh, Caribbean Americans moved into the area. And I've been there ever since. Uh, I saw Star City being built, which is not too far away. Um, went to most of the local schools in the area, say PS 273, Thomas Jefferson High School. Uh, eventually went to Brooklyn College in the area as well. And I stayed most of my life in the East New York area, except for a short stay in the, uh, the United States Air Force as well. Do you have vivid memories of, of food experiences growing up in the neighborhood? Was there uh, was there a lot of uh, you know different different food uh, traditions that had come into the neighborhood when you were a kid? Not really. It was mostly your all American options, you know, local pizza shop, um, burger spots, things along that nature. But it wasn't really anything unique to the neighborhood, like say a Caribbean spot that you would go to or a soul food spot. So it was mostly your McDonald's, your Applebee's, your White Castles, pizza shops. Nothing that really fit the nature of the neighborhood. So if you wanted that kind of an experience, you usually went to downtown Brooklyn or Harlem or other parts of New York City to get that kind of experience. How long were you in the Air Force? I was in the Air Force for three years. Gotcha. And what, was, uh, what were you thinking when you were in the Air Force? What was your plan? What was your goal? Well, my goal was to go in there for a couple of years, travel, um, save some money, obviously serve the country as well, and hopefully use the benefits to continue my education um, locally when I came back out of from the Air Force after a few years. You completed, I guess, like a hat trick of, of New York City education, right? You went to, um, to Brooklyn College, um, Fordham, uh, Pace as well, is that right? Yeah, I got my bachelor's in accounting from Brooklyn College. I got my MBA from Pace University, and I got my law degree at night from uh, Fordham Law School. Was it was the idea that you wanted to, to do all of those things at the same time, or you couldn't you couldn't decide, you changed your mind, or was it sort of like, did you have a plan all along to get a couple professional degrees? Well, my goal all along was to eventually work for myself. But after I got my, my MBA and I had my CPA, in my mind, my educational process was done at that point. But then I was working at a company called TIA Cref, and they offered to pay for law school as well. So if you're going to pay for school, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. So I went to law school at night and worked during the day for four years. So it was a hectic schedule. I would leave home at 7 a.m. I wouldn't get back home till about 11 p.m. Because I'd have work from 8.30 to 4.30, then commute over to Lincoln Campus Center, the Lincoln Center campus of uh, Fordham Law School, and I'd be there from 6 to 9.30, uh, four days a week. So from Monday to Thursday, 
Uh, I'm out of the house from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. Then most of my studying was done on the weekend. So it was a hectic schedule for four years. Did you end up practicing law? Yeah, I practiced law for about 13 years. And I still have some clients on the side. Uh, I've been general counsel at a few places, uh, junior attorney at a few other law firms as well. So I did practice law for a number of years. But it was always my dream to have my own business and not always practice um, law for somebody else. So I tried to learn whatever I could from my clients and tried to incorporate into my own practice now, my own business now here at Fusion East. Were you, um, were you a cook as well? Did you were an amateur cook or you Never. cook at home? Never, really? Never. I always had my mom around or somebody else to cook for me. But I can cook a little bit, but definitely not enough to serve the customers. So if you're someone who doesn't cook, you know, how do you get a vision in your head for, for a restaurant and for making food? Well, I knew that there was a need in the neighborhood. I've also been on the local community board for about 20 years, uh, Community Board 5 in East New York. So just from talking to other friends of mine from the neighborhood, it just got tiring to, if you live in that area, it's on the other side of Brooklyn, almost near Kennedy Airport, to drive to, say, downtown Brooklyn or to Harlem is easily 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Once you get there, you got to find a park. That could be another 15 minutes or so. Then you got to hope there's not a line once you get to the restaurant. And I'm like, if all these people in this area from East New York, Canarsie, Brownsville, Starrett City, why do we always have to go somewhere else? So I, I know there was a community need, and I felt there was also a financial need, because Gateway Mall, which opened up in 2002, has some restaurants over there that have been doing phenomenally well, where some of those restaurants were in the top five in their respective chains, from Applebee's, Olive Garden, Red Lobster. And if that being the case... And they're serving food that isn't really unique or fits the, uh, the demographics of the neighborhood. I felt that if I open up a restaurant that more keenly fits the, uh, the demographics of the community, it should do well as well. So I thought it would be a great uh, opportunity to open up something unique for the neighborhood. And I also thought, saw a financial opportunity for myself as well to build something unique in the neighborhood and uh, achieve some of the financial success of some of the, the big, big, the big um, chains I have in as well in the neighborhood. So. Gotcha. So when you when you get when you get interested in starting something like that, um, and you know you haven't you haven't worked you know in a restaurant or something like that already, like how do you get started? What's the first day like? What kind of what kind of research do you do? Who do you start talking to when you when you start to think about acting on that idea? Well, I reached out to other friends of mine who were in the industry, who may be general managers at restaurants, uh, friends of mine who own restaurants already, to get feedback from them. I'd also speak to uh, other attorneys who have been involved in the process. Like, what do you have to do to start your own restaurant from operate, getting the, uh, the operating license, the, uh, the liquor license, things along that nature. Uh, speaking to chef friends of mine, I'll say that the biggest component really is talking to people who already own their restaurants. And I had a few people who were former clients of mine who had been through that process already and told me some of the minefields to look out for and things along that nature. What are some of those minefields? What do you got to watch out for? Um, liquor license, choosing your partners wisely. It's very difficult to get a liquor license in New York City if you have partners who have a background um, that is not um, as clean as it should be, mm -hmm. to say the least. Uh, so you want to choose your partners wisely. You definitely have to get access to capital. Uh, you can't do it on your own. I got an SBA loan for about $250,000 to help the process. I always say you need the three Cs, cash, credit, and collateral to do something like this. You gotta have your own cash to a degree because not a lot of banks are gonna be willing to lend you money, especially in a neighborhood like East New York, which is not known as an area for having fine dining experiences. You'll find more so banks being able to lend or willing to lend in areas that they're more comfortable with, say um, downtown Brooklyn, Harlem. Uh, they're still gonna see East New York as a bit risky, and especially restaurants, even more so, uh, in neighborhoods like that. 
So if you have your own cash, that'll get you through the, uh, the process a lot quicker and some collateral. I've had to, I have a property in Eastern New York as well that I bought in 2007, which has been doing pretty well for me uh, for the past 10 years. And I've used that as collateral to pull some money out to help invest in the business as well. But definitely you better have your own cash, some good credit, and some collateral to get the process through. We've talked to a couple of people here on the podcast who have started restaurants in New York City. And it's, you know, New York City, of course, seems like a uniquely challenging place to, to start a restaurant. There's so much incredible competition. Then again, there's so many people. I mean, there's so much opportunity for success. Um, but everybody that we've talked to has sort of said the same thing, which is that uh, at the heart of every successful restaurant is a successful real estate deal, a successful lease or building. Um, did you find that to be the case as well? Yes. Uh, in my case, the, the lease that I have is a 10-year lease with a, another five-year option on me. So it's actually a, probably a 15-year lease in actuality. Um, the, the space was actually a restaurant already, uh, a place called Burger Away. They went out of business in six months. So the space was already built out as a restaurant. So that saved me about three to 400000 in build-out costs. I did not have to build out a kitchen. It was already in place. I didn't have to build out an HVAC system. So those uh, also, there was a handicapped bathroom in place as well. So a lot of the infrastructure was already in place for a restaurant. All I had to do really was bring in new furniture, new lighting, and um, that's about it basically. There was not a lot of fixed costs I had to incur to build out the space. What, what about the infrastructure of the food itself? Like how did you get started? Um, you, did you find a chef to partner with? Did you, did you find, how did you start the menu? Like how did you sort of get started on, on the product that you guys were gonna sell? Well, I got a general manager first who had a year, about 15 years experience. With him on board, then we went about selecting a chef. Uh, the first chef that we had could not stay with us because he got a better offer somewhere else. We had to find someone else on relatively short notice when we were about to open up. Well, we, uh, with the general manager, it's probably key for someone like me who doesn't have experience or the connections to find people like that. So definitely the general manager was probably the first important big hire that I made with his connections and his knowledge to get the right chef and chefs on board. And then from there, we started building a team in terms of um, having open calls for servers and, and bartenders and things along that nature. But the first key hire for me was hiring a, a competent and knowledgeable general manager to get the process started. Gotcha. And did you guys collaborate on the food choices and, and, and so Definitely. On? Yeah. And what were, what were you thinking? What was in your head when you when you started uh, you know, planning the, the menu? Well, I wanted something that fit the demographics of the neighborhood. Like I said, the neighborhood is predominantly black Caribbean and black Americans. So I wanted a menu that reflected those demographics. So you'll see oxtail for the Caribbeans, but you also see pork chops for the African-Americans. If you go inside, say, Gateway Mall, you have your all-American options, your Applebee's, Olive Garden, Buffalo Wild Wings. So even though they are competition for us, none of them have the exact menu that we have. So we have our own niche, even though we're surrounded by restaurants in the area. So we try to appeal directly to the, the African-American and the Afro-Caribbean marketplace that surrounds us in that neighborhood. And if you come to the neighborhood recently, you'll see all the growth that's going on in terms of new people, new buildings. Um, Gateway Mall opened up their second uh, mall about four years ago. So they now have about 50 stores over there and hundreds of employees every day and thousands of visitors every day. So there's a built-in market for what we're trying to do, and it's in addition to what they have to offer. Even though we're not inside the mall, we're right outside the mall. So if you're visiting the mall, it's a short walk over to what we have and what we um, have to offer, which is a little bit distinctive from what you're going to get inside the traditional mall of um, Gateway Shopping Center. So you guys get started. You got everything, everything built out. You got your chefs. You got your staff. 
Um, and then, you know, you're obviously at some point you're just about to open. Were you, were you nervous about it? Did you, were you the kind of person like, did you throw big parties? Did, like, you know, what, what, what did it feel like, you know, having this big restaurant, you know, and hoping that people would show up? What was, what was it like for you? Well, we had a soft opening first where we invited friends and family to come in and taste the food. And then that we had great response to that. Then we had the grand opening a few days later. I um, mean, I was nervous at first, but I tried to over prepare. And if I over prepare, I'm generally not too concerned about the consequences. Um, failure to prepare scares me. But if I prepare as best as I can, I'm not too concerned. So I tried to hire competent people who know what they were doing, who can follow the or lead me in the right direction to some degree so that they can cover my kind of weaknesses in, in uh, that particular forum. I mean, any of the accounting or legal issues, that's my forum. A lot of the, the mechanics of operating the management, I relied a lot on the general manager in the beginning, but it's been two and a half years now, so I pretty much know how I want things done within the restaurant. But in the beginning, you rely a lot on others, and I always try to hire people who I believe are smarter than me in a particular niche so that I can learn from them. If you can't teach me something, then you're really not the best hire for me at this stage of my career. Are you there every day? Like, Are you, are you a hands-on manager for the restaurant? I was there probably about 16 hours a day the first six months. Now I'm there about five or six hours a day. I have a couple of managers and I'm supervisor. So they're there managing. I can be at an event like this right now. And the restaurant's still going to open on time at 11 a.m. And it's going to close about 11 p.m. tonight. So I go in usually around 1 o'clock to about 6, 7 o'clock. Um, go over the financials. Go over the numbers from the prior night. See if the restaurant needs anything. See if the staff are doing what they're supposed to. And then I'm generally gone around that point. I try to spend most of my time trying to build a restaurant and not getting bogged down in the mechanics of it, to be honest with you. On the day-to-day. Sure. So what was the reception like when you guys first opened? What was the first, you know, what were the first couple weeks like? Um, were people happy to, to find you guys? They were definitely happy because, as I said, most people did not like having to travel outside the neighborhood for a fine dining establishment. And so it is definitely needed. Uh, we got a great response from the community board, uh, the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce has been a great partner with us. They helped us have a, a grand opening about three months after we opened up, where they brought uh, politicians, uh, commissioners, uh, military personnel, and, uh, and they actually helped us get uh, Elton Street opened up to uh, more vehicular traffic for us. Because when we first opened, Elton Street was not fully open into the mall. So a lot of people did not know we were open for the first year or so. And that really killed business. You go through a lot of cash. That's why I say you got to have some cash when you're doing something like this because you can burn through a lot of cash in a restaurant in your first year or so. So you're waiting to catch fire, right? Correct. Correct. Even though it's a great location and you're next to a great um, tourist attraction, which is Gateway Central Mall, if the people can't get to you conveniently, it's very difficult. But through going to different meetings with Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and meeting different commissioners, we were able to get that roadway opened up in October... 2016, November 2016. And we were able to double our sales in 2017 as a direct result of that. And I give a lot of credit to that to Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce for really helping us get to that next level. That's interesting. I mean, that's a sort of a classic New York thing, right? I mean, New York is this incredibly big city, but you know, the difference between a corner and, th- and a half a block in or being a block from like, the Flower District or from, you know, the Camera District or whatever it is for a store or a restaurant or a, a retail establishment is so huge, right? It's such a subtle thing. To have to, 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 it's hard to see that coming, isn't it? Yeah, location is key. I mean, we knew that when we first opened up, but we were told the road would be open within a couple of months of um, our grand opening in October 2015. It was the summer of 2016, and it still wasn't open. 
So at that point, I had to reach out to my friends in different city agencies and Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce to really put the pressure on the politicians and the local politicians as well to team up with me to get that road open because it was killing us. If you went inside to the mall, all the national chains were doing great. But everyone on that strip, that local strip, Elton Street, um, which is like the, the smaller mom and pops and startups, were not doing well at all because we didn't have access to that population center within the mall. But once that opened up in October, say November 2016, you know, it was, it was uh, like a new grand opening for everybody involved. And all of our sales and our, and our notoriety uh, increased tremendously after that. Now you guys, speaking of notoriety, you guys have gotten a fair bit of press and publicity. Um, is that something that happened on purpose? Was, was, that in, was that intentional? Did you work for that? We worked for it. Some of it was accidental. Uh, the GM one time went to Circle of Sisters in Manhattan at Jacob, Jacob Javits Center. It's an annual convention of um, different entre- uh, minority entrepreneurs held at the Jacob Javits Center in Harlem, in um, the Javits Center in Manhattan. And he happened to run into the executive producer of Fox 5 New York. And he told the, the producer that the owner of the restaurant, Fusion East, is also a veteran. He was a veteran. He says, okay, give me a few weeks. I'm going to try my best to get you guys on the show. True to his word, in February 2017, he got us onto Fox 5 New York. And we were seen by millions of people throughout New York, the New York City tri-state area. And that was just by accident. And that was free publicity for us in front of millions. So some of it is intentional, but sometimes you just got to be lucky as well. You got to be in the right place at the right time. Correct. Do you, do you see that? Do you see people coming from you know outside of the neighborhood or even outside of the city like looking for you guys specifically like as a destination? Definitely. I mean, a lot of people from Queens come to the restaurant because we're right on the border of Queens. If you're on the Belt Parkway, we're at the first exit in Brooklyn. We're only about two or three miles away from Kennedy Airport. So we have a lot of customers that come from different parts of Queens, from Laurelton, uh, Jamaica, Queens, Cambria Heights, uh, Richmond Hill, uh, and those areas because um, Green Acres Mall in Long Island has been going under renovations for the past couple of years. A lot of those people don't like going to that mall, but they like going to uh, Gateway Center Mall. Once they get to Gateway Center Mall, it's on us then to get them over to to, um, to Fusion East. So we have a lot of customers that come to us from the Queens area as well. So we're not just dependent on, say, the Brownsville, East New York, um, Star City uh, populace, which we love anyway. But we also get a lot of love from, from Queens and some parts of Long Island, like Valley Stream and Elmont as well. Because all of those areas were within 15 minutes drive of the restaurant. Have you guys seen like other restaurants and other things popping up kind of in your wake? Do you guys feel like you've been part of a trend or something's happening in that area? Um, have you contributed to that, do you think? We've seen more restaurants open up inside the mall, not so much on the strip as yet, which I would love to see, uh, as long as they're not Caribbean or soul food. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see you more. You don't want a number two? You don't want to be Hertz to somebody's Avis? <laughs> no, 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 not, not yet. Give me a couple of years to make my name. But uh, we haven't seen restaurants. We've seen other uh, commercial ideas come up on the strip. But the strip is really supposed to be set aside for community-based uh, for-profit businesses. And it hasn't happened as yet. So we're also trying to get the word out to get more businesses on that strip on Elton Street in Brooklyn. Um, but I would love to see more restaurants come down there. I don't care if it's sushi or whatever your taste may be. Um, healthcare spots, it doesn't really matter. But we, we need more economic act- local economic activity in East New York as opposed to all the big boxes. Uh, they're fine. They serve as a good source to bring more people into the neighborhood. But 
a lot of them, they don't always invest in the community as well as a locally based business would. So it's always good to try to support local businesses as well. Now, you have a very long perspective on the neighborhood, obviously, uh, having grown up there and now being a successful business owner, or owner of a couple of businesses, really, in the neighborhood. Um, looking on that longer time scale, like tens of 20 years, you know, what, what changes are you seeing in the neighborhood? What are some of the things you expect to see continue over the next 20 years? Well, last year they rezoned the northern part of East New York for more denser housing. So a lot of the three- and four-story buildings you see on places like Atlantic Avenue, Fulton Street, are probably going to be rebuilt as 10-story buildings. Um, there's also plans to redo Broadway Junction train station. That's a major transit hub in Brooklyn. About five train lines stopped there, the A, C, J, Z, uh, the L, and the Long Island Railroad all stopped there. In addition, there's a major bus depot over there as well. And you have easy access to the Jackie Robinson and the Bell Parkway. So you can get to either, the, either Kennedy Airport or LaGuardia Airport in 20 minutes from East New York. So if that kind of transportation hub, I see a lot of development going on near the Broadway Junction area. It would be great to have like a BAM-type institution um, over there, some kind of cultural or educational institution around that particular district. And I definitely see that happening. I see more denser housing coming. Um, Mayor, not Mayor, Governor Cuomo just announced the the former, um, I don't know, call them dumps, but landfills. Waste, waste transfer stations, right? <laughs> Correct. Uh, called Fountain and Pennsylvania Avenue. They shut down about 20 years ago, and they've been capped. He announced he's making those into a 400-acre park on Jamaica Bay, and that's going to open up in 2019. So you can have 400 acres of parkland pretty coming pretty soon to East New York as well. So with the improvements of the infra infrastructure, the easy transportation network, and the new parkland coming, I, I see nothing but positive things in the East New York area. And if you own any real estate in East New York, you're getting the calls already from people trying to, to move into the area. So I definitely think it's going to be the next hot spot within the next five to ten years, uh, in, at least in Brooklyn, if not the city. Now, you know, a lot of people, another theme that, that's come up a lot, you know, when we've talked to people who've, who've been in, in Brooklyn for a long time, uh, you know, is the concern that, you know, the, all of this change is not always positive for all of the people uh, in, in, the, in the area. Um, you know, there's a concern that you know, increasingly New York is becoming a place that just doesn't have room uh, for people from different, from different economic backgrounds. Um, certainly, it's, it's arguable that Manhattan, you know, south of the park at this point, is almost uninhabitable. There's almost no more you know, neighborhoods left. Um, that have a diversity of economic background. Um, there's some worry that that's spreading through the city. Do you, do you share that concern? Is that something that worries you? That's definitely a concern if you've seen what happened in, if what's happened in areas like Harlem and Bed-Stuy. I think it may be a little different in East New York because one thing East New York has is an abundance of open land. And that's why you can build a Gateway 1 and a Gateway 2 right next to each other. And a lot of the new housing you see coming about, at least in that area, in, in the Gateway area by where the restaurant is, is affordable housing where there are somewhat income restrictions on who can um, move into those particular homes that they're building over there. So even though there's an um, increase in prices for a lot of the commercial and residential uh, properties in East New York, there's still a lot of affordable homes coming into the pipeline. Uh, there's something, a process or a program called the Nehemiah Program, which was started by a lot of church groups in the East New York area. And they've built thousands of new homes in the East New York area, and they're still building. If you come by the area now, you'll see a couple of hundred homes being being built, which are going to open up, if not this year, then into next year. And most of them are set aside for, for East New York existing restaurants or residents from across the city who are in certain income thresholds. So there are protections in place, at least in the East New York area, to keep most of the new homes that we're seeing 
um, affordable. What do you think the neighborhood needs? More restaurants like yours, more local businesses? Like what, what, what do you think, what, what would, in your mind, what would be an, an amazing sequence of events for the next five or 10 years? I would love to see the Elton Street corridor filled up with locally owned businesses. Uh, to do that, you also need access to capital. A lot of the banks are not too anxious to lend in the area, even though this is going, on, going through a transformation right now. Still, a lot of banks are kind of leery. Banks are conservative by nature. So you have to show them the financial benefits of opening restaurants, opening up stores, expanding economic opportunities in the area. So access to capital is also key. It's great to have an idea, but if you don't have the capital to take that idea from idea to fruition, it, it just falls by the wayside. And that happens to too many entrepreneurs in the area who, if their financing is not there, they may just give up and say, let me just go get a, a regular day-to-day job. Uh, fortunately, I save my own money. I pay my bills on time. I mm-hmm. keep my credit score high, and I already had assets as well. So it's a little easier for me. But not everyone has those those three C's, as I call them. Not everyone has three professional degrees either. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to get them through the process. But you know, access to capital is also very key to the, the future growth of East New York, that commercial strip, and producing more entrepreneurs in the East New York community for sure. What about you personally? What are some of the What are some of the things you've got in mind? Uh, I know you guys have opened another a second location already, right? And do you have more in, in store? There's something that we may have in store in downtown Brooklyn. I don't want to discuss it quite yet, but just stay tuned. Um, we've been approached about other projects in the East Brooklyn area as well. Uh, one in particular in the Brownsville area. Uh, we've been approached about something in maybe Long Island at some point, but I want to try to grow the existing business some more, uh, grow the business as well at Kingsborough Psychiatric Center, uh, maybe get a few more government contracts, because there's a lot of uh, monies or programs set aside for, for veterans who own businesses as well. So I'd like to, to build upon that in the near future as well, uh, maybe providing food to servicemen uh, in New York or outside of New York. Definitely maybe the public schools and other institutions here in New York City, New York State, and also trying to build out into other restaurants as well. So I like to build the, the retail side, the right customers, as well as the government side as well. Mm-hmm. What about, for, what, what advice would you give people that, that have an idea like yours, you know, that, that maybe are from a neighborhood and they want to they stay in the neighborhood and they want to do something positive? Um, like what, what, do you, what, do you, what, what should you be thinking about if those are, if those are your goals? What should you be starting with? I would say do your research, get to know people in the community. Uh, The community board can be a great resource. Uh, I've been on the board 20 years, and the people there definitely want to see more economic activity, Uh, especially the chairperson of the board and the other committee heads. They can be a huge resource. You meet politicians, you meet business people. I would definitely say get more involved in the local community so you can meet who the movers and shakers are to a degree. Definitely do your research and find out who the professionals are locally who are maybe, if you want to open up your own coffee shop, um, entrepreneurs like myself, what's the process? You're definitely going to need to know an accountant and a CPA, uh, an accountant and a, and a lawyer, for sure. Luckily, I have both of those skill sets myself, <laughs> so I didn't have to hire those people. Exactly. But you will need uh, an attorney and a CPA that you can trust. Or you can just spend you know eight or ten years getting your own degrees, right? But that would be the option B. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little time-consuming, right. and the opportunity may pass you Probably by. Probably easier to get on the Internet and find someone, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> or ask people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never – I mean, the Internet is fine, but I prefer personal references when it comes to uh, attorneys and uh, CPAs who've been down that road before. So, but definitely do your research, meet the professionals that you need to meet, 
uh, get to know who the movers and shakers are in your community and do your research online in that particular industry. But nothing beats being prepared and, and meeting the right people and going out there and telling people what your idea is. Anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Absolutely. Last question. What, is, what does Brooklyn mean to you? What do, what do you, when you? When you hear Brooklyn, what do you think about? Brooklyn is cool. I've been here most of my life. Even though my background, my parents were from Barbados. Anybody asking where home is, home is Brooklyn. And so I think anything is possible in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is very happening right now. I see nothing but positive things for all parts of Brooklyn and New York City. And I like to contribute to that process as much as I can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to From Day One, how Brooklyn entrepreneurs got their start. This series is made possible by The Bridge, a news site dedicated to reporting on business in Brooklyn. With help from Complex Ventures, a Brooklyn-based digital agency working with more than profit companies and organizations. For more from The Bridge, to learn more about today's guest, or to listen to more episodes of From Day One, visit us at thebridgebk.com. That's T-H-E-B-R-I-D-G-E-B-K.com. From Day One is produced by Cora Feeder, Steve Kep, and myself, Nick Bailey. Audio editing and post-production by Steph Derwin. Our theme music was performed by Jody Rockwell and the Ambulamps. And our founding sponsor was the Made in New York Media Center. Thanks for listening.